Hello folks, we are Enaudis, and this is the conversation we had with MediaMonk's co-founder, Wesley Terhaar, on June 29th. After hearing the big news about the merger between MediaMonk's and Martin Sorrell's company, S4 Capital, we decided to launch this episode as soon as possible. But we didn't know anything about what was going on at the time of recording. What we did talk about was how it all started for this creative company that has changed the creative industry and is now worth 300 million euros. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And now this, the untold stories of starting a creative agency. Hello, hello. We are Paul and Jeroen, founders and creative directors of And Now This, an ideas agency based in Amsterdam, which we launched earlier this year. But how do you actually start a creative business? What are the watchouts? What does it take to quit your job and get your own company up and running? To find out, we talk to founders of successful and inspirational creative businesses around the world, uncovering their untold stories. We're here today with Wesley Terhaar, co-founder of MediaMonks, one of the world's biggest creative production companies with 11 offices worldwide. Almost 12. Almost Almost 12. (laughs) Soon to be. And around 700 people on staff. Uh, Wesley's award list is too long to even comprehend, with over 100 lions, 25 webbies, and over... 200 FWA sides of the day. He started Media Monks back in 2001, somewhere in a small basement. Uh, today, Wesley lives in LA, overseeing the American market, and now he's here with us in Amsterdam. Cool. Happy Welcome. to be back in town. Welcome, man. Thank you, uh, thank you for the invite. Great Welcome to have you here. Podcast. Thanks. How are you doing? How's your week going? Uh, week is going well. Uh, what brings you to the, to, uh, the home turf? Well, I, I was in Cannes last week, so it was a... Uh, a short trip, uh, so I'm mostly just hanging out with friends, family, um, checking out the office. Um, and right. US, we're, we're hitting our 4th of July sort of period, so the US calms down a bit, so it's, true. it's good yeah. to spend some time back so home. So it was a long weekend anyway, long, long, week, long weekend, holiday weekend. Yeah, well, next week, it, it, it's on a Wednesday, so people are gonna, gonna try and spread mm. that into a full oh, week, yeah. so it's, it. a, it's a good, quieter time to hang out in Amsterdam for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just some quality time instead of... You know, business and business and yeah, the usual. Mostly. So how was uh, Cannes this year for you and your company? Uh, Cannes was good. Um, it was quiet, though. <laughs> I think <laughs> we were just talking about that earlier. It was yeah. quiet, or at least uh, quieter than we're used to. But I think it was actually good. We had some really great meetings. I did a relatively short stint, came in Tuesday evening, left Friday afternoon, uh, but really good setup. We had a great party on Wednesday together with the team yeah, from Massive Music. That was, that was yeah. a great, great party. Which is always super enjoyable and I think uh, really a highlight for us just for the year. And then we, we did well. We picked up 12 Lions, which um, anytime you hit double j- digits, it's not uh, too bad. <laughs> it's not too bad. So overall, it was, it was nice. a really great setup. Really what, was the, what was the... The, the, the piece of work that won the most, the most awards? We had, we had two pieces that did really well. We had uh, Uncensored Playlist together with DDB um, in Dusseldorf, which was the... Um, the that. Yeah, yeah. Was good. just amazing insight, really smartly produced. 
uh, to sort of get uh, voices out there that otherwise were, were not going to be heard because of censorship through yeah. technology platforms. I thought that was just amazing. And then we had Nike Game Go with Wyden yeah. and Kenny in Portland. Awesome too. Which was crazy. <laughs> so, Honestly, yeah. it's such an amazing project to the work production. on. Oh, the production value was yeah, just yeah, yeah. Yeah. looked so good. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, I'm super proud of that work. And I, I really enjoyed seeing it winning Cannes because it's not a typical Cannes winner. No, I just yeah. think the, the level of ambition and execution really got people to vote for it. So. For sure. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. that's nice to see. Nice, congrats. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you must be getting used to uh, winning tons of awards, <laughs> right? By now. Well, <laughs> does, it, does it ever get old for you? Uh, it's. Well, how important is it? I we, I think it's important not to be too blasé about it. So because we have a, a lot of new people, a lot of young people in the company, and it's amazing for anyone to win sort of their first awards their first batch so for media monks it's important to always be on those lists because yeah. it's not yeah. just about us that have won a few it's about the new generation that are getting the opportunity to do that work build their portfolio mm -hmm. and have the excitement of winning your first thing right that's oh, yeah. it's one of yeah. the best moments sure. you're gonna have in our industry so while maybe the some of the older uh sort of group maybe is a bit of blasé about it now as a company we're mm -hmm. always super excited to be mm -hmm. there it's, yeah. uh, it's yeah. a big deal nice so tell us a little bit about how you guys started the company back in 2001. That's a long time ago. We're all getting old. Well, we, we started in a much less fancy place than you guys have here. Okay. Mm -hmm. I had okay. no, uh, no, uh, <laughs> no, 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 So um, how did we start? Honestly, we were very, very young. We were um, 21. So it was a mix of uh, school dropouts. Um, I myself was uh, had just finished my first year of uh, of college. Um, I think the the real sort of friction that made us want to do something was the sort of the mass consumer adoption locally when it came to what we then still called the internet, mm -hmm. uh, which end of the nineties it really started breaking into people's homes and it became a normal consumer thing. And it was at that time it just felt like everything you were doing at school, I studied communications at that time, just felt like you were learning something that was already outdated. Mm, and you yeah, sort yeah. of had a sense you were being taught to be um, dispensable after four or five years. Mm. So that just was a, a constant friction. Um, and then instead of, instead of trying to sort of solve that from a school perspective, I tried to actually start my own company as an intern uh, as part of my school and it, it wasn't allowed. So that sort of was the, the breaking point to then go out with yeah, a few like, friends. Fuck this shit. Well, <laughs> just, uh, you wanted to be part of that. It was yeah, such yeah. an exciting time and I can only imagine what it was like in the US at that time mm. because we're sort of so far removed from that. But even here in Amsterdam, if you were at all interested in, in communications or creativity or, or anything in that space, it just felt like you wanted to be part of it. Yeah, um, sure. And it, it started very, uh, very simply just doing stuff for friends, doing stuff for family. And uh, what kind of stuff was that? Like it was honestly, websites? yeah, websites. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I taught myself how to code really badly. Mm -hmm. um, uh, good friend of mine was, uh, Jin was a designer, was always a creative and he sort of taught himself all of, taught himself all of the design software. I taught myself the coding software. And that's what how kind of we, software was that? 
uh, like, oh man, I tried before, everything. Before the dream I, I know yeah. I was I was big on Dreamweaver. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> I tried tried my hand Flash. at director, uh, and then uh, oh, Shockwave, yeah. which became Flash. Shockwave. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, the Flash thing just was the most exciting thing because it was easy to pick up, and you could get immediate visual results, and yeah. it was easier to code. So we sort of started in that space, mm -hmm. doing very uh, sort of flashy work, nothing heavy lifting. And after a really uh, short time, because not a lot of people were doing things, you sort of became part of that community, yeah. started getting more work. And then there was a moment, because um, we, we bounced around for about a year and a half doing a bit of freelance, working for a startup. And then we hit the moment that you guys hit a while back where you go, we should probably just do this ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's when we started it, but with no grand strategy or vision. It's a bunch that's of 21 planned. year olds yeah. messing about, not wanting to do a real job. Was the the, the nucleus <laughs> yeah. of medium escapism, yeah. mostly. But uh, but it was a, you started it with four. With, there were four founders. Yeah, right? well, four of us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it was uh, a mix of talents, uh, more visual, more technology based, more client services based. It was uh, mm -hmm. sort of trying to. Space, yeah, we we uh, without knowing it, we went for a very traditional advertising mm -hmm. mix when we uh, it came to the start. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, so like you said, the internet happened, yeah. right? Do you think you were there at the right time, the right place? The right, was, was it free, the free bubble? Well, we we did a, a bit of the bubble because okay. uh, we were in a startup before Media Monk, very bad startup, and that was definitely again very far removed from the bubble as it was happening in the U.S. But sort of a, a small, bolder version of the bubble. <laughs> um, so we, we had part of that, and 2001 was the worst time to start a company okay. in anything internet-based yeah, because you had the bubble burst, lots of branches went, this whole thing is never gonna work, we're not gonna spend any money there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you had 9-11 happen, which was yep. just this huge uh, economic uh, compression. So yeah, yeah. it was, I think, I, have you guys ever read uh, Outliers from Malcolm Gladwell? No. I've heard of it, but I haven't read it yet. No. So he has this really interesting sort of um, true story where mm -hmm. you're looking at people's success and then you're going, is that because there's sort of a, a, a talent or mm -hmm. a, a sort of an amazing insight or is a lot of it timing based? Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think looking back to build a production company of our quality and size, you needed um, uh, a period in the, in the shadows so 2001 mm. to 2004, 2005, where you can learn your craft, you can make mistakes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you can mess about. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that sort of sets you up for success as that, that market starts growing again. Yeah, yeah, I, cannot, yeah. I, I honestly can't imagine how difficult it would be to start now yeah, with yeah. so many focus on exactly. digital work, with so many eyes on it to try and do great work and then scale it up is actually really difficult. Yeah. So I think there's definitely a, a, a moment in time aspect uh, to what we managed to build. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very lean uh, way of... Yeah, and you learn to be scrappy, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. there, there was uh, literally no money in that time. No, so. Nobody was exactly. thinking, thinking about the internet. So. No, nobody cared about no, it. No, nobody I, cared about it, yeah. I, I honestly think, and we're, I think we're seeing some of that come back, but uh, irreverence and weirdness that you were allowed to do for big brands back in the day because yeah. just nobody cared, nobody signed off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just went, here's a small <laughs> bit of money, do uh, an internet thing. Yeah. Uh, you got to be really experimental for very big brands and you got to be very sort of edgy when it came to the type of sort of 
brand messaging. Yeah. Uh, and that got filtered out for a really long time as budgets became bigger and more process became sort of the norm. I think part of that filtered out. I think we're now getting back to some of that, which is really exciting. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what, why do you think that is? Brent, Brent just want to do some cool, want to, want to have that excitement of the early internet days again? Yeah, I, I think we're, uh, a lot of it has to do probably just with social being so, such a, you get so over-rewarded. features and, well, you, and you can try stuff. The reward is just so big for doing something that's actually of interest to people. Yeah. Because yes, that, exactly. that means there's exactly. so much free media now available if you do something that actually breaks out of this sort of echo chamber of brand yeah. messaging. Yeah, yeah. That I, I think it's it's now a very smart strategy to try and stand out and be a bit weird. Um, yeah. And I think... You have to be. You have to be, honestly. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of people now see that the risk and potential downside there is actually quite low. Yeah. So I, I think people have gotten a bit looser. Uh, I think, mm -hmm. honestly, Old Spice and the work, the amazing work Wyden has done throughout the last, what is that, decade or so, mm -hmm. is probably a bit of a, a shift change when it comes to that as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. He opened a lot of people's eyes, I guess. Yeah, you were allowed yeah, to be a bit weird. For one day, next day, nobody's talking about it. No. And, and it, then again, you had your moment, right? Yeah, that, that was actually probably the biggest difference between when we started and now, back <laughs> this is going to sound so old. Back in the day, um, if you would do something interesting, you would sort of win win the internet for like a month. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And now you're you're happy if you win a trending topic for two hours. Yeah. So yeah. It's, uh, yeah. there's a lot has changed. Yeah. So that's why you think the importance of the importance of a good idea, the importance of creativity is so big. A good idea, a good insight. I th I think that's that's the that's sort of the the sweet spot where sort of the inside driven thinking that maybe comes from more traditional agencies. Mm -hmm. But I think for some reason, a lot of traditional agencies have never really, really understood the power Perfect. of crafts in digital. Yeah. Okay. They understand yeah. it in film, but I think they never quite got there when it came to digital. Yeah. But if you combine a level of insight that, that has a bit of friction and then you just execute it at a level that's just celebratory and joyous and fun yeah i think if you combine those two things it's it's sort of the you take all the, the sweet spot yeah, yeah that's where you need to be yeah 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 yeah, yeah. that's where you come in and this is my pitch this is where <laughs> call me um, um so and it's in so for you it was a, like a natural natural thing like starting your own company it just it, it was just a logical Away, uh, yeah, I think I, for you, or, or was it like, no, fuck this, I, I don't want to be an intern at this uh, company, I want to do my own stuff, so I'm gonna. I was just really, and out. I think that that's everybody at it, or most people at a, at a certain age. I was just a know it all and mm -hmm. um, struggled with <laughs> listening to other people, uh, mm -hmm. and that that makes you a bad employee to a point. Uh, although honestly, we always enjoy people that that push back and make a bit of uh, make a bit of noise. <laughs> but I, I just didn't feel it didn't feel natural. You I don't think being an employee. Yeah, it just it didn't fit. But honestly, uh, that it was just uh, I think if uh, I would have gotten used to it really quickly. So it was just a bit of a, a moment where I ended up not being able to work it out with my school, mm. then having a moment where you go, okay, fuck it, I'll, I'll try and do this myself. Yeah. And then you get to a moment where you're years in and then it's maybe not doing what you wanted to do. And then you sort of get into the, the entrepreneurial dilemma. Mm. It's like, 
is it a success? Because if it's a success, you need to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And if you stop, it's sort of a failure. Yep. So you sort of get locked into this space where you push through. Um, and was, then was there a moment like that for you after a couple of years of... I think because we were so young when we were starting it, I think it took mm-hmm. us a while to get uh, to really formulate what it was. Mm. Um, so probably the first three to four years, you're... Just figuring out. I, 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 doing whatever. I see some people now when they're 21, 22 start companies and they have a business plan and a vision. <laughs> and they're going to they're gonna own the world. That was not us. So it took us uh, three to four years to sort of stumble into the first iteration of our company that was actually commercially viable. Um, mm. But yeah, so I think it was a moment in time that forced my hand into sort of becoming an entrepreneur yep. and then you don't want to quit because that's, yep. that's sort of a personal failure. Mm-hmm. So that that <laughs> those two things combined just lock you in and then you need a bit of luck and we, yeah. we sort of lucked into a market that grew our ability to actually show interesting work that we've done during that weird sort of shadow time when nobody was really interested we'd actually build a really cool portfolio and then you know, set do, up do you think you can pinpoint your moment of luck to one case or no like I, your breakthrough uh, I, I think the I think We've been doing this for 17 and a half years. You, you, you have constant moments of luck. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you have constant moments of, of bad luck as well. Like luck, it can go mm. both ways. Mm-hmm. But I think you just need to be, the most important thing is you need to recognize when it's bad luck. Because bad luck doesn't necessarily mean you're doing the, a bad thing. It just sometimes, yeah. sometimes it doesn't work out, right? So yeah. it's yeah. Not, not over-indexing on bad luck. Bad luck doesn't mean it's bad strategy. Bad luck doesn't mean you're not good at what you do, but sometimes you win some, you lose some. And then good luck is recognize opportunities and then completely over-index on the opportunity because you have doors that open. Hmm. Bit of good luck, you, hmm. need to, you need to really be extremely sort of forceful to grab momentum and then use it in your favor. Mm-hmm. So it's... Just uh, dive on it. And yeah, it's completely... Grab it by the... <laughs> yeah, completely. When the moment is there, you need to. That's the moment when I think when you have a company where you can make a difference. Hmm. So we we've always been good at recognizing opportunity and then being. Yeah, uh, and I think from from the the bad luck, you 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 obviously learn from it, but also you kind of that makes you makes you uh, realize what you actually want to do, maybe, or maybe it's just you're not in the on the. You know, on on the on the wrong boat with someone, with a client or or on a project or whatever. Uh, yeah, and ba- like, oh, maybe this is not it. Maybe I should just. Well, it's, and you have to take the emotion out uh, as much as possible. Yeah, I, yeah. I think the, if That's you're if you're an entrepreneur, you're gonna have so many shitty moments, <laughs> uh, and you're gonna have amazing yeah. moments. Yeah. Um, but if you if you if you if you join that constant emotional roller coaster, it's gonna be. It's going to be mm. really stressful. So I, I think what what you need to, at, at least what we've been able to do is sort of be a bit abstracted. Yeah, yeah. Stuff that happens is information. Mm. And what's the best thing you can do with the information you have? Mm. And that, that takes out some of the emotion, I think. Um, so don't don't let it uh, get to you or don't let it make, don't uh, make it personal. No, and uh, Dutch term, humor. Mm-hmm. like you have to, yeah, like you're yeah. in the trenches together. 
ja. running company. <laughs> There's so many ups and downs. Ja, you ja. have to be able to, to see the funny side of that. Ja. Interesting. Yeah. And, and do you do you think? Because uh, when did when did you meet uh, Victor? We went to the same uh, school together. We he, he was one of the four founders. Uh, he he started like a year and a half after, but okay. I, I would say we'll count him as one of the founders because we weren't really doing much before. Okay, well, um, three are not in a company anymore. Uh, no, so we had three founders and then Victor joined. But ah, okay. I would say Victor is a founder because it was it yeah, was yeah. Uh, we weren't doing much, um, <laughs> and Victor and myself still run it to this day. Yeah, um, and uh, so <laughs> Victor and myself we went to the same school, which was the Co-Payo. Uh, which retroactively we saw something a few years ago was voted the worst HAO in all of uh, the Netherlands, <laughs> which just shows uh, our stock. Um, the uh, and he did commercial economics, and I studied communications, and we we would hang out for a few beers now and again. And we had a very serendipitous moment where I stopped after about a year and a half after an amazing, uh, amazing, successful uh, propedosa year. Mm-hmm. Um, And he finished his studies um, and we actually ran into each other completely randomly at, I think it was past midnight at Central Station as I was coming back from the office. He came back from, uh, he used to be a sailor, he came back from, I think, uh, dropping a boat in in, uh, the south of Holland. And we literally just randomly walked into each other okay. after not seeing each other for a few up. years. <laughs> and that, that sort of kicked off his, um, his involvement. Uh, hmm. Went for beer. I explained what I did. He explained what he was doing and not enjoying. And that hmm. became the, uh, the nucleus of, yeah. uh, of, the, of, nice. the, of the relationship. Because I remember I was uh, in the Jonge Honden bus yes. with, with Victor in 2003, I guess. The Jonge Honden is uh, the Dutch Young Creatives. And uh, every year, the, they went to Cannes with the bus, uh, and it later uh, was the foundation of the the young creative uh, lion, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and remember when he said like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm gonna I'm, I just joined this company called uh, Media Monks, and we're doing internet things. Yeah, it's like oh okay. yeah, we we would good use luck. the good luck with that. <laughs> oh, this is this is. <laughs> This is where the uh, the initial sort of frustration came from. We we did all of the young young uh, Honda pitches, mm-hmm. and we always did a digital or an internet oh, yeah. idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was always now a good idea fits on a on a B filter. filter. Yeah. So we would do these elaborate flows and design ideas, oh, yeah. and people go, "No, no, that's not an idea." So yeah. that was that was. <laughs> yeah. I, I've. I'm almost over it. I'm not quite okay. over it. I'm almost <laughs> over it. But it was... It was you describe yourself as a young creative and then yeah. enter again. Enter again. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to lose the beard and see if they let me in. <laughs> um, so, in those early years, were there any... What, what do you think your biggest... Was there a biggest, big misstep you, you, you did? Or was there anything you encountered that you to see like, all right, maybe I should have done that differently, maybe? Every, everything. Um, I, I think the first, we made all of the mistakes and I think because we made all of the mistakes actually made us a good company. Because um, that's the thing, the being in the sort of the shadow for three to four years and even longer really when you look at production being behind the scenes for a really long time and not really being on stage or, a, or a sort of a, a seen as an important part of the industry per se. I think that gave us the opportunities to learn 
from our mistakes instead of being punished for our mistakes. Right. So the the mistakes that we made, every mistake you could possibly imagine was made mm -hmm. by me personally. Um, but that also meant when we were in a position to actually scale the company, I. I felt really comfortable in that role because I knew what not to do. Mm. I think sort of the, the scar tissue that you build from mistakes is some of the most powerful sort of learning behavior you can have. Yeah, where you so, recognize like, oh, I've made this mistake before, maybe we should do it differently. Yeah, that, that's honestly, that's the most important. Mm. Even when we look at our, especially project managers and producers, it's not so much the mistake they make, it's the, do they make them once? Because that's great if you make a mistake and you recognize yeah. and mm. you learn and you exactly. sort of yeah. don't get into those situations. Cool. That's the, that's the honestly the sign of a, a, a great talented person. So the mistakes mm. we made were often and, and uh, many, I, I yeah. would say the, the real sort of, the touch the hot stove moments of, of pain were our first international client and just understanding that you cannot be a black box. Because uh, we were young, we were creatively driven, people mm. give us a brief and we would work on that for six weeks and then we would go, ta-da, here's your amazing oh, yeah. project client. Yeah. Mm. Um, and that worked with people you knew and that were local because there would be yeah. sort of a, an ingrained level of contact. But if you're working for an international client and you do that, they, they freak the fuck out and rightfully yeah. so. So it's that's mm. a big aha moment. Uh, we had, I, I can remember being on a, on a project that was usually deadline driven and we weren't quite there when we needed to be there. Mm. And it was it was big. Um, that's a huge moment. You're never going to let that happen again. Or you're going to do everything in your mm. power to never let that happen yeah. again. So it was actually those projects where you don't quite live up to what you what your own sort of vision of, of your, your ambition is mm. were probably the most powerful ones. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's all that counts for pitches, it counts for new business, it counts for client relationships, it counts for projects. But it's it's not bad to, uh, to hit those moments as long as you hit them, I would say early and often in a company. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And, and um, so what what was your first uh, international client? Was that, was that a, 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 like a- It's Nintendo. Important, important moment? <laughs> yeah, it was Nintendo. Nice. Uh, <laughs> with their European head office. Was Wolfram, Wolfram from um, Nintendo Germany, which was a European head office. It's, it's nice. a game? Uh, no, Wolfram was our client. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. And I can remember he had actually, it was amazing because we uh, we had launched our own website, which is a really cool piece of work for its time and sort of got a lot of, uh, it was a very small industry, so it got mm -hmm. a lot of attention. Yeah. And um, he actually filled out a form on our website going, hey, I'm Wolfram from Nintendo mm -hmm. and I have a project. And we were 100% convinced somebody was taking the piss. <laughs> like we were, we were at that moment in time, literally three guys in the basement. We didn't have a phone. We weren't, we were a company because we had the Kafka, yeah. but that was it. Mm -hmm. And we went, that's not true. The and then of it, Chamber of Commerce. Yeah, it, it turned out to be true. And we were like, fuck, Nintendo. Um, <laughs> so uh, literally, our almost our first client was Nintendo. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> which was, it was, uh, it was a, a high bar to sort of uh, uh, jump on our first go. Right, but that, first. that's really that, that idea of being able to hone your craft out of, outside of the spotlights was actually really key there because... The budgets were tiny. It was literally like, I have 
Was it Gillis? Was it Gillis back then or Euros? I don't even know. Uh, when in 2001? No. 2002 maybe? No, I think it's Euros. Euros. Uh, it was like, I have 3,000 Euros. No, I think it was... Oh, it could whatever. be Gillis. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I have 3,000 of these financial things. Um, can you do a Always. thing? Yeah. And we would do all of the things. We would probably do like a project that was probably 100K. Mm. Uh, but we were so excited by it. Um, so course, yeah. our ability to do the cool work, I think, masked our lack of operational excellence and the client services focus and all of these things because the ambition and fun sort of came through the work. Yeah. And he gave us a lot of work, uh, which was amazing to have this small local Dutch company because mm -hmm. when we actually opened up to our local market, when people started spending money against internet budgets again, we were actually waiting and going, oh, so we have all of this work that we did for Nintendo and yeah. Formula One and mm. international Heineken work. So we, we built this weird portfolio that, that when we were able kind to actually- came out of the blue for- Yeah, it was like, oh, yeah. I had no idea this was in our backyard. So, yeah. But yeah, that was, that was a crazy moment. We, we got a similar email from uh, Johannes Klein, who was the father of a Formula One driver. Um, which only, only German clients? Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he, I which, forget, uh, which driver was it? I forget his first oh, name, okay. but he, uh, he was a Red Bull driver for a year, a right. year and a half. And we got an email literally from a hotmail address going, my son is a Formula One driver. And we were like, this is the Nigerian Prince scam. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it wasn't. So it was those types of moments you'll never forget. That's yeah. completely That's random. So you got that email printed out, framed in your we, office. Sadly, we, uh, we did not um, do our admin as well as you guys you are deleted. doing. Yeah. We, we have lost all of our, uh, all of our stories. <laughs> there are only campfire stories. We have no documentation. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. So. Uh, so after those uh, first client, you, you really started working for, for the local, the Dutch industry here, I guess. Yeah. Um, so w were those uh, first agencies? It, what it, kind of work was it that you, that you made in those early days? I think we probably, we probably started really getting clients locally in about 2004. Uh, Gilles Smit. X22 tracks, uh, used to be a B Beyond, was our first local client, uh, for which I owe him a huge gratitude. Um, you built the 22 tracks? Uh, no, no, before he worked at 22 tracks, oh, he was okay. a marketing manager. Ah, and he, okay. he, he actually, he's literally our first local client that gave yeah. us some money. Uh, so we started with local clients. At that time, there was no real distinction in the industry. Um, and we probably acted like a digital agency up until about 2008. Um, and that meant 50% of our work was brand related, 50% of it was agency related. Mm -hmm. And at that time, and uh, we, we, were, we were actually running a, a really successful shop. Um, I think we grew to about 70 people, good margins. I, I would say we were probably in the space where you would have Bone and Key and Woodont, which is yep. all of these sort of yep. amazing um, campaign marketing companies. We were sort of in that mix. Yeah. Um, and then around 2008, 2009, we actually looked at the work and Spin Awards was a huge, uh, was a bit of a, a reckoning moment for us because- the Spin well, Awards are the, the Dutch- uh, The Dutch uh, Webbies. Webbies, yeah. yeah. Um, we had a moment where every year you would gather all your work for submission and we went through a year of work and we went, everything sort of sucks. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a bit of a, a moment where we went, 
if we look at the talent we have, and if we look at where we started the company, which was doing this amazing, innovative, creative, international Exciting. work, we this cannot be the thing that we just continue doing for the next decade. Yeah. So we had a, a big sort of um, moment, and I'm, I honestly, to this day, I'm not quite sure how we made that decision, but we ended up firing our, uh, our brand clients um, and just saying no to every brief. And we, we build relationships with all the local agencies, mm. the Saatchis and the Tribals and the yeah. DDBs and the yeah, TBWAs. Yeah. And our pitch at that time was, you guys want to do more, I think we started calling it digital by then, want to do more digital. We are this amazing, steady production partner that can actually help you be successful. Yeah. And we, we switched our business to be almost 100% agency driven. Um, I didn't know, yeah, I thought you were working for agencies earlier. Well, we well, were working for them. Side, I mean. uh, we were working for them, but it was probably 50 50. Uh, and yeah. it started getting into that space where you, you don't want to compete against your clients, right? So yeah, exactly. I think we, we needed to take, a, we needed a choice, which was do we go with agencies or do we go with brands? And at that time, agency work just allowed us to do much better creative work. Mm. And it opened up bigger brands for us. And it opened up an opportunity to become an international company. Because yeah. our relationship with Saatchi here opened up a relationship with Saatchi in London. Yeah. And we actually started our London office in the Saatchi office in London mm. on Charlotte Street. That was the first project I did with you, with Media Monks, was for Samsung. Oh, at Saatchi. Yeah, I can still remember. We did a lot of Samsung stuff. Yeah. So that was that was sort of a, a big moment and that allowed us to grow really quickly internationally. And then if you now look at the last few years, the industry has gone through so many changes. Production has been decoupled in many cases. So yeah. the there's a lot of brand work, but we still work very closely with the agencies that are on those brands as well. Yeah, yeah. It's just less of a, it's less a behind the scenes role, it's more an at the table role, mm, which yeah. I think is an honest reflection of the impact that good production has on the brand. Mm, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's, uh, it's a good good yeah. moment. So it's, it kind of shifted from being a production, digital production company, you know. More to a creative partner. Yeah, like a creative partner. We, we call ourselves a, a, a global creative production partner yeah, as yeah, our role. Yeah. And I think sense. if I look at the industry, that means we, we work with amazing agencies globally, uh, just like at the work that picked up awards in Cannes, work with DDBs, work with Widen. Mm. Um, they hire us directly because they know if you have something that's a bit crazy and a bit ambitious, mm. we're a great team for that globally. We work with brands together uh, brands and agencies together if we're part of a roster. I mean, Heineken has one of those rosters, the Hollywood model, where they bring yeah. together these different sort of specialists and we're a great production specialist. Then you have brands have started building in-house teams. Um, I would say yeah. most of the people I know from sort of my generation coming up in the agency industry have actually moved out of agencies and have gone to brands. Yeah. Uh, and then you have the technology companies, the Googles, the Facebooks, the Snapchats, who sort of are agencies meets technology platforms meets brands yeah. yeah so it's it's such a different industry now than it used to be mm-hmm. and i yeah. think our focus has always been whatever happens stuff needs to get made and yeah, ideally yeah. it needs to get made on time for a decent quote at a high level of quality mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. so that that's what we do and um the the bridge towards that model just changes just constantly done. <laughs> that's what you do pretty much <laughs> it's yeah. it's it's not on our LinkedIn as the official mm. page, but it's uh, it's close. So, um, do you think there was so when you started 
working for for agencies uh, mostly as a production production partner did that immediately work was there a moment that really changed everything yeah because you changed your whole model right it, I think the I think the most important thing if you're working with agencies you never want to be in a situation where you're seen as a yeah competitor well a killer of dreams okay the, for me the, mm. the worst thing and I think that's always been if we're on that work we're going to be as ambitious about it or more ambitious than our client mm. yeah and client can be brand, client can be tech, client can be an agency. Yeah. We never want to be sort of positioned as a potential bottleneck or somebody that's pushing back on something. And I think the switch we need to make when we're working with brands, I think our role was also to be a bit more aware of realities. Mm-hmm. And where you're working with agencies, I think you're sort of joining forces and you're going, how fucking far can we push the thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and that just meant, especially on a project management level, you needed to sort of change your mindset slightly. Okay. Uh, yeah. International work really trained us when it came to that because the Dutch are quite practical. Yeah. So Dutch agencies were a bit more practical than agencies in London and mm. especially agencies in the US. Uh, and I would say that- Do you think they think, they think bigger? They think bigger and they, they're not like thinking the about projects. the limitation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where, where I think a good project manager especially a good Dutch project manager probably thinks about risks mm-hmm. where yeah. if you if you sort of scale up to be an international company it's more about opportunities mm. so that's a bit of a mindset shift mm. and I would say the biggest part of our sort of growth in that was uh, tribal tribal in Amsterdam we had an amazing um, I think symbiotic relationship where we just did so much great work together yeah um, and uh so that, that was that was like around eight years ago. I guess yeah, that was that probably the uh, yeah probably the Philips around work. 2010 uh, Philips KLM, um, yeah. and which is great because it was they were they were in, they had such a great team and were super ambitious European Eight of the Year Eurobest I think around that time. Yeah, and we were I think we we were the same. We were growing. We wanted to do international work. I think if you find a symbiotic relationship like that, it makes both teams better. Yeah. Um, so do you think that that relationship helped uh, uh, put you on the map as well internationally? Yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely. Yeah. Because we we uh, we were able to do some really exciting work mm. with our teams. Yeah. So and and and, and um, when was it? Was there a defining moment when your company really like really took off? Because you now 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 you have eleven. Almost yeah. 12 offices worldwide, right? Yeah. But eight years ago, it was just one. I think the right. I think there are probably there are a few moments that I would say were are. I think it was it it was around the um, initially the 10 year anniversary. I think was a huge moment for us. We have a really big party here in Amsterdam. Was that the one with the? I think it was at the arena. Uh, oh yeah, Arena. with uh, the audio bullies. Audio bullies. That was <laughs> yeah. a, that was a great party. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that was that was a bit of a wake up moment because we had, we had grown into a sizable already international company, and I think it was it was a really nice moment to sort of become a more visible part of the industry, and uh, we uh, we did it the way we always do it, which is through festivities. Yes. Uh, so that was a huge moment, I think, for our team as well because I think it it gave them a. Um, a level of pride that I think was sometimes lost when it came to production because it felt like you weren't getting the applauded. Mm, yeah. So that was really important for us. And then we had two projects that I would say were 
are real international breakthroughs. One of them was called The Breakthrough, was a Desperados piece of work that okay. we did with a French company on, uh, and was, I would say, probably the best thing that's ever been done on YouTube. It was one of those takeovers. Okay. And it was just a, a perfect piece of work. Uh, I can remember seeing it come together and literally the day before launch, testing the final version going, I'm, I must be um, uh, sort of, of course I would say that, but I looked at it and I went, this is the best piece of work I've seen this year. And nice. uh, that was a huge moment where I just went, this is gonna blow up and it was a huge success and it it, it became a sort of a, an industry standard. Yeah. And then the second project that did that was Nightwalk in Marseille together with oh, yeah. Seven Tunes oh, in Amsterdam. Yeah, which was not that long ago. Like uh, 2013, 14, yeah, 13, yeah. I think. Oh, that so, was huge. Was yeah, huge. so those two projects sort of made us go from a, a good production company to sort of an an internationally renowned production company, those two mm. projects. Yeah. And then it's that that's sort of when you talk about the piece of luck, we could have lost those pitches. We could yeah, have, yeah, we could yeah, have yeah. not hit the nine and delivered mm -hmm. the seven and a half. Yeah, yeah. Like all of those small things line up and then you get one of those projects, Stars they hit aligned. and then you need, that's your opportunity. The door opens a bit more than, than it was. And then it was all about executing against that sort of upswing in, in requests, upswing in reputation. Uh, we opened a bunch of offices really quickly. Yeah. Like we, we really. Because you were getting a lot of requests, inter yeah, international yeah. requests. Yeah. You it, had it, to serve those clients. So you're like, ah. It, it completely changed. Uh, it completely changed everything. And as it as it changed our our sort of uh, company uh, reputation, we were able to sort of build our model behind that. Which meant, luckily, being a bit more strategic than we were when we found it, we were yeah. like, okay, is there a great global production company? No, there are other great production mm. companies, but no one that's truly global. Yeah. We're gonna go to Asia before everybody else goes to Asia. Yeah. So we went yeah. to Singapore way before other production companies went to Singapore. Yeah. We we went, and now you see the same thing with LATAM, where in LATAM nobody, nobody from our sort of group went to LATAM. Mm. So it's really about sort of, I think we've grown into being strategic about these things, but it is always you follow the opportunity and then you build strategy against where you where you're expecting the, the biggest upside. Yeah. Instead of being really sort of this is a strategy and whatever happens we will execute. It's sort of finding finding the the path. Yeah. Uh, uh. And so, it, but you not always uh, um, just start a, 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 an office from scratch, right? For example, um, you, you, sometimes you buy a company as well. Yeah, right? we've done a, a, uh, Did that a couple of years ago, I think with the, the Swedish. Yeah, we, we acquired Stop. Uh, so Mediamang Stockholm is Stop. Um, yeah. And they, they've been part of that for a few years now. And then the LA office, we integrated with our LA office, which made us, because um, LA was, um, uh, is a huge market for us, but we were relatively new in that market and yep. it allowed us to really build out our footprint quickly. Yep. And then uh, Minimunks Brazil used to be Cricket, it's, it's yep. amazing sort of internet of things, experiential company. Um, uh, that team was responsible for a large part of the Nike game of Go. Uh -huh. uh, and they're honestly some of the best crafts people I've ever seen. Hmm. Um, and very, very fun to see how they're sort of uh, adopting that culture um, and sort of they're probably better branded than we are mm -hmm. in, okay. in our HQ okay. here yeah. like they, it's really great to see and then Brazil used to be Intacta or uh, uh, Buenos Aires used to be Intacta which is a great UX design okay. and development company so okay. yeah it's it's been about if we 
you sort of, when you need a skill or a location, you can think about hiring versus acquiring. And yeah. we were lucky enough to be in a position where we could actually scale up quicker through acquisition, mm. which, was, yeah. which has so been really great for us. The was in place, the, 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 the right skill set was there. Yeah. And so building building a team from scratch can be oh, really heavy lifting. So. Yeah, yeah that's because awesome. you're, you're quite well known for your culture as well, your your company culture, yep. you have big parties and <laughs> ski trips, and uh, see all the after yeah. movies on uh, socials. <laughs> Uh, how hard is it to is it is it something that's been there from the start is it is it is it is it coming from you and is, and how hard is it to keep it uh, yeah. keep that culture in a in a company with seven hundred people I, I think the I think when a, a a company sort of starts it's it becomes a very sort of direct reflection of the founders yeah mm. and as it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you go through iterations, you go through your second generation, third generation, fourth generation of people, and then you need to give it the freedom to evolve. Yeah. So it can't just be about what we want or what we wanted back 15 years ago. So it's it's been really great to actually see the teams we have now, but also the different cultures that we have across the offices sort of molded into what it is. And we used to be very, we used to be very black and white, so and mm. literally every media monks office would look the same but now mm. actually all the offices look more like a local office our new yeah. mexico city office yeah. it's a mexico city office our new office that we're sort of working on looks like that city so it's it's we've we've actually been looser uh, we haven't defined the culture and rules you have these companies you walk in and it's on the walls that type of yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. we okay. don't believe we we do we focus on it with onboarding, but it's more about sort of uh, guiding principles. It's about yeah. you have to be nice. There has to be a level of empathy. We're all about quality. Yeah. Probably the most inspirational thing for me when it comes to culture was um, HR document from Netflix from like mm-hmm. a decade ago. Um, and uh, my favorite term in it was uh, we're not a family, we're a sports team. Mm-hmm. And that that mindset where yes, we're here to to have fun together and be be sort of. Uh, focused on enjoying what we do, but we need to be successful together. Yeah. So there needs to be a level of, of friction that's allowed that you maybe wouldn't want in a, f- a group of friends or family, but you would expect in a high performing sports team. Yeah. So okay. that that really for us is really important. Um, but yeah, the culture, I would say it has a lot of similarities to where we started, but it's just become much more inclusive, much more diverse, much more, um, less about just uh, have a drink and much more about how do we celebrate, truly celebrate things. Um, and probably the biggest mistake we ever made as a company was um, anointing our our official Media Monks drink as the Jaeger bomb. Because that, that was an amazing idea when I was 22. It's a really, it doesn't scale past 31 and I'm, thir- I'm 39 now. So yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's good to see change. Change is good. Yes. New drinks. <laughs> Hopefully. But, st- but still, I, I imagine it's quite hard to, to have uh, the same quality level at every office and same the same the same culture in a, in a way yeah right so, but it's, it's, so do, do you visit all the offices regularly for example or do you do you speak with the the, the, the management team regularly how do, how do you how do you we do a few things one company so for me it doesn't have to be the same culture in every office but it has to have the same sort sure. of guiding principles yeah okay yeah but th- we actually we prefer if the 
like would be it would be very weird if the Brazilian Minimax culture would be the same as the Singapore Minimax culture. Mm, they sure. need that that because even our pitch to clients is global scale, local relevance. So it's just values, maybe. That's yeah, like it's that's it's more about value. how we work together. And I, I would say the the most important part from my perspective that has actually been able to scale that the two most important things. One is our our first twenty hires were probably the best hires mm -hmm. that we could have ever done. Okay. So we have a huge percentage of those people are still at the company. Yeah, yeah that is that's uh, amazing. And they're actually, what I, I think is really strong is they, they, they have the ingrained DNA of how we think about things, but yeah. they're also, they're also um, they've also gone through the process of being able to be flexible and understand that we can't be the same thing always. Yeah. But it does come down to quality and this is how we work together, which for me are the most important sort of guiding principles. Yeah. And then it's about just finding amazing people. Um, we don't put a lot of, we try not put a lot of process and structure in place. Yeah. We don't want uh, no timesheets. We're not babysitting people. Uh, because we want people that feel like they can have an influence, they can have impact. We want them to do hopefully the best work they'll ever do. Mm. Uh, and if you find people that, that connect to that and it resonates, they actually add to your culture. So one of the most exciting things that's happening at the moment is we're hiring a lot of people. Mm -hmm. uh, every person we hire, if it's the right person, influences the culture in a positive way. Mm, so yeah, a lot of our focus is on how do you hire? How do you, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're trying to get a lot better when it comes to onboarding people. We sometimes forget that we're now a big company hmm. or at least big for our type of company. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's less easy to find your way. It's so a lot of it is just making sure people fit, fit. Yeah. and then find their place. Hmm. Those two things are yeah. super important. Yeah. yeah. No timesheets. You should explain that to a traditional agency. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's it's been the the recurring question. We've uh, actually the recurring advice from day one when we started and we were three people was, "Oh, you need timesheet." We we're like, "No, you don't." Yeah. And then when we hit fifty people, it was like, "Oh, now you really need timesheet." And we went, "No, you don't." So that that's sort of been our, um, and but that's honestly, I, I think not. It's if you if your process isn't good enough to give you the metric and data you need, your process needs to be different. Mm -hmm. And if you don't trust your people to do the work, then you need different people. So yeah. for me, yes. timesheets is a- yeah, yeah. Well, Trust is a, is a, is a very yeah. important thing, I, I think, for the people you hire. Yeah. If you don't trust them, why do you- No, that's right? that's reflected back, right? If you yeah. don't trust yeah. your people, you why would trust, they trust you? you? Back. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's great. Um, and where, where do you see yourself in five years or in, in 10 years? Do, do you have any- <laughs> Do you think about it? Or do, do, do you ever think you'll be? <laughs> no, I'm at, some point, I'm at this moment not quite sure if I'm going to be in Mexico or Amsterdam on Monday. So uh -huh. I, I, I tend to not try and think too far ahead. It's uh, we we put goals for the company in place, um, but even there we we sort of have a we have a more of a I would say almost more of a story you're trying to fill in than like a real line item business plan. Mm -hmm and then you just execute against it. And the execution is sort of, you execute against the year and then that year breaks down to quarters and those quarters break down to months where yeah. we're really, we're a production company. So we, we execute yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, we don't, we have no grand visions of where we'll be in five to 10 years. No new mm. countries? A bunch probably, yeah. um, but that's that's the, we we have ambition. It's not a goal. No, well, it's, the, the the thing is the goal it should come out of the 
the sort of what where we go as a company when it comes to locations or yeah. skills or growth should come out of sort of opportunities that we think are exciting mm-hmm. instead of trying to force the opportunity by sort of opening an office that doesn't make any sense. No. Yeah, so it's a bit more organic. We try and keep it a bit more organic because I think that, that flexibility is super important nowadays. Yeah. Uh, and do you, do people, um, for example, if I uh, started Media Monks uh, here in, in Amsterdam five years ago, do, do you, do you uh, um, rotate people? Do, do people have uh, uh, like a, the opportunity to work in Singapore, if you if you work in Amsterdam, or in Brazil, if you work in yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I think it's a huge part of the draw of working at Media Monks is the ability to build an international career. I think so, yeah. And the reason we actually started London um, was because at that time, I think some of our most talented people were hitting the end of their their sort of Media Monks lifespan, mm. and even though we were doing good work and people were enjoying it, there's always people always have the ambition to work elsewhere, yeah, and yeah. do an international stint. So we actually, London initially was a way for our people to have an international experience. Mm. So the first year we actually sent a person to London uh, every week, a different person. Mm. So we had a fixed team with a few key people there and then just a way for people to, to travel and see other offices That's and great. cultures. Yeah. So uh, it became a, a sort of a commercial success uh, after Mm-hmm. We sort of, uh, well, it became a commercial success, but it wasn't initially a commercial strategy. Yeah. And we've, we've kept that in place. A lot of our, our, our people have been able to, to work in New York, work in LA. Yeah. Lots of, lots of opportunities in Latin America at the moment for our team. So now it's a huge part of our business. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's great. Um, and so, but do you, do you think you'll ever be, you'll ever get tired? of this doing this do you I'm, I get tired of it almost every day <laughs> uh, no, do you see yourself uh, I don't know re- retiring from this from this crazy industry or is it or are you still having fun and, and, and do you, don't you ever think you're going to be well it's uh, we're definitely having fun um, I think the I think the the thing you, and that's probably the most difficult thing, is the thing you get your enjoyment from changes as a company grows. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So my initial job yeah, yeah. was making the cool thing. Yeah, you were, you were coding, or you were designing. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was yeah. coding. Uh, although you don't do that anymore? I'm not allowed. Oh. Uh, <laughs> the, the team was quite clear uh, quite a long time ago that I was never allowed to code anything ever again. Don't do that. Uh, I think the, the most important thing is you need to, recalibrate where your enjoyment comes from. So initially your enjoyment comes from doing the work, Mm -hmm. then your enjoyment comes from making sure other people can do the work well, Mm -hmm. then your enjoyment comes from selling the work that other people can make sure goes well and that other people can enjoy making. Uh, And now you're sort of looking at how how do you further build and scale almost a place for people to have good experiences. Yeah. Um, and that, that's a really broad thing and it's a, a little less immediate because if you make mm-hmm. a cool thing and you launch it, that, that's a moment. So I think, and uh, I would say for Victor probably the same thing, it's making sure you enjoy the, the thing you're doing because you constantly have to ask yourself, what is it that I can do that has the most impact? Mm. But that doesn't always translate to the, the, the most immediate sort of gratification moment. Yeah. So I think 
that's where we're at now. We enjoy it. It's super exciting. Do I want to do this? I'm 39 now. Do I want to do this 30 more years? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll, we'll keep going for a while still. Yeah, yeah. still going strong, still yeah. having fun. Nice. Cool. I think we're all almost there, right? Yeah. Cool. Thank you very much for, uh, for coming. We always have a, a final uh, question at the end. Final, final thought. Is there any advice you would like to give us as starting, <laughs> starting uh, entrepreneurs and starting creative business? But my advice always to people is don't do it. Uh, <laughs> but if you do it, um, I think the, the, the takeaways, the things I remind myself of is uh, make sure you enjoy the, the good moments. Because there's going to be a lot of <laughs> a lot of frustration, a lot of sort of moments. I think people underestimate the um, the challenges. There's just a lot of um, a lot of hassle and stuff. So really enjoy the the highlights mm. and don't over index on the bad stuff. Because mm-hmm. that that just it's the the lifestyle choice of being an entrepreneur yeah. is you need to uh, you need to be bulletproof when it comes to that type of stuff because hmm. if you're if you're not it's uh, you're gonna have a really tough time just don't let it get to you too, too too much no and even even just understand that it is what it is and it's just work yeah even even mm-hmm. when something happens that you could categorize as bad it's still something you have to look at and what does that mean could be a great learning experience could be an opportunity that you're yeah, yeah, yeah. that you haven't spotted it's oh it's very seldom that something happens which is a definitive mm. it's often just it's a step on a road mm-hmm. and you just need to be constantly focused on how can i get to the best next step mm-hmm. so it's it's being very uh very uh practical about those types of moments yeah, yeah, yeah. would be my advice and also make a bunch of money buy the whole building you're in throw everybody <laughs> else out put a big logo sure. put a yeah. big logo on the door <laughs> throw good parties throw everyone out all no, of those things. Hire everyone, actually. That's yes. Idea. <laughs> nice. Cool, man. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks guys. So much. That was yeah. super fun. When are you going back to LA? I'm. I think I'm going to stick around in Amsterdam for next week Good. because of the Fourth of July stuff. So probably a few weeks from now. You picked the right time. Uh, yeah. No. This it, it feels. Uh, it feels like home. So. Yeah. It's a proper summer. Summer at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, man. Cool. See you later. Bye. Same. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. For more information, please check out our website and now this.agency. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or SoundCloud. This show was produced in collaboration with Ant Food Amsterdam.